Behold, I come like a thief, Jesus says. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be exposed. In other words, beware the thief who finds you naked. How's that for an image pasted into your frontal lobe? The idea that Jesus will come again like a thief in the night is nothing new and notes the suddenness with which it will happen. But why is the one blessed who keeps his clothes on? Nakedness is a picture of spiritual carelessness. The spiritually alert person, on the other hand, stays awake and fully clothed, anticipating the soon return of Jesus who comes like a thief in the night. I'm Ron Jones, something good starts right now. Hello and welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we continue our journey through the book of Revelation as Ron moves ahead in his teaching series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've missed any messages along the way, please visit somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org, where you can hear any of Ron's messages on demand. While you're there, check out Something Good Television, Something Good Courses, Something Good Travel, and the new Something Good Digital Library, where you can search for biblical answers to your questions from nearly 30 years of Ron's Bible teaching ministry. From Revelation chapters 16 and 19, here's Ron with today's Something Good radio message, Armageddon, ISIS, and the Middle East Crisis. Now again, reminiscent of the Egyptian plagues, uh, under Moses, uh, darkness comes upon the planet and, and directly targeting the kingdom of the beast. The Antichrist is in full control of the religion, the politics, and the economy. Many believe that he's controlling these elements from Rome, from Jerusalem, and from a rebuilt Babylon. But darkness comes over the earth. We take for granted the, 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 the light of the day, do we not? But the sun provides and the moon at night and the stars. Darkness comes over the earth, and with the scorching heat and the darkness, you would think that people's hearts would turn to God in repentance and saying, Lord God, help us, but just the opposite takes place. A little insight into the human heart that is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it, the Bible says? People curse God as they're gnawing their tongues and gritting their teeth. The Bible says they did not repent and give him glory. It doesn't say that once. It says it twice. Uh, just the, the hardness of the human heart that's produced as a result of these plagues. Verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Very interesting here. You know, the river Euphrates uh, and the Tigris River, uh, they're in that location on planet Earth known as the cradle of civilization. You go back to the early chapters of Genesis, and the description of the Garden of Eden mentions the Euphrates River, the Tigris River, and two other rivers that we really can't pinpoint right now. Many believe that the topography of the Earth was changed dramatically as it relates to those two rivers when Noah's flood came through. But there were four rivers right in and around the Garden of Eden 
two of them, the Euphrates and the Tigris River. Again, one of the reasons there's such conflict in the Middle East is, if you remember earlier in our study of Revelation, there were four just filthy, mean, nasty demons that have been locked up in the abyss right at the Tigris and Euphrates River. Okay, I think that has something to do in the spirit world with the conflict that comes out of that part of the world. But this sixth angel who pours out his bowl, it dries up the river Euphrates. It's the largest river in Western Asia, 1,800 miles. And many people believe that it will provide a a dried-up roadway for a 200-million-man army that will come from the east. Many believe this being the the Chinese army. China will be marching. China will be rising and will join the Islamic nations and Russia and others uh, to fight against Israel at the end of the age. John goes on in verse 13, and I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Remember the unholy trinity, the dragon being the devil, the beast being the antichrist, uh, the false prophet being the second beast, this unholy trinity. He sees coming out of the mouth of these three, uh, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. This is setting the stage for Armageddon. Yeah, Armageddon, ISIS, and the Middle East crisis. It's just a, it's a, it's a pot of stew that's been stirring since the beginning of human civilization. And it comes back to this place on earth, the cradle of civilization, Verse 16 says, and they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Har-Megiddo or Armageddon. Har-Megiddo in the Hebrew language. It's an ominous word, isn't it? I mean, if you want to get somebody's attention, title a, a movie that you got coming out from Hollywood, title it Armageddon, and you'll get people who like those kinds of apocalyptic movies going to the movie theaters. I listened to a guy this week who was trying to sell his book through some social media sources, and believe it or not, he titled it, Armageddon, Why Donald Trump is Going to Beat Hillary Clinton. And I thought, what in the world does that have to do with Armageddon, okay? But any cheap use of the name or word Armageddon to sell a movie or to sell a book? Did you know that the word Armageddon only appears once in the Bible, and it's right here in Revelation chapter 16? Now, the conflict, the war that it's referencing, oh, you'll find it in Daniel, you'll find it in Zechariah, you'll find it in Revelation, you'll find it in several places. Uh, this, is, this is the culmination of, of the enemies of the Lamb of God. This is the culmination of the enemies of Isaac, of Israel, the chosen people of God, and the nations of the world coming to a place in the Middle East. Armageddon means... Uh, the Mount of Megiddo, Har Megiddo. And there is a place that, well, when we travel to Israel in November, we'll go there and we'll stand on top of that mountain and we'll look out over the Valley of Jezreel, this vast, open valley. Napoleon stood there once and said, this is the greatest battlefield ever. And it will be the place where the kings of the earth come and wage war against Israel. 
Uh, that battle will be so great that uh, Revelation chapter 14 and verse 20 says, the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. That's about 200 miles. Now, whether that's a, a literal description of this river of blood that will flow for almost 200 miles or just a symbolic way of saying the world will never, has never seen bloodshed like this before than, than what it's going to see at the Battle of Armageddon. In one sense, Armageddon is a, a final conflict. In another sense, it's a campaign of wars that really starts at the beginning of the tribulation period. Because remember the four horsemen of the apocalypse? The first four seals that are unopened in heaven are seen as four horsemen that ride out. The second one, the red horseman, he's red because he's a war horse, and he sheds blood on this earth. There's been war going on all throughout the tribulation period. It gets worse and worse as we get closer and closer to the end of the age. And finally, the great armies of the world, including China and, and Russia and the Islamic uh, allies come together, and, and they gather in Harmageddon. They gather in the Valley of Jezreel for the final conflict, fighting against the Lamb of God, fighting against Israel, whom He loves. And the only thing that prevents that war from annihilating all of humanity is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, before we get to that, and there's a reference to it here in Revelation 16, I'll come to in a moment. But the Valley of Jezreel and, and Mount Megiddo is about 100 miles from the city of Jerusalem. This conflict is so great and there's so much going on that the impact is even felt in the city of Jerusalem itself. And that brings us to verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on earth. So great was that earthquake. It'll make a seven-point or an eight-point or a nine-point on the Richter scale look like a day at the park. It goes on to say, verse 19, the great city, the great city, a reference to Jerusalem, was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon, the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of His wrath. And every island, listen to the geographic and topographical changes that take place. Every island fled away and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people and they cursed God. A third reference to the inhabitants of planet earth, cursing God, not repenting, but cursing God. They cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. They're marching against Israel and toward Jerusalem, and the impact of this, I mean, there's uh, celestial wonders, there, there are uh, wonders in, in the sky and in the climate and in the weather, there's a great earthquake, hailstones, a hundred pounds, I mean, the world has never seen that. Reminds me, though, of the time when God was having a conversation with Job. And he says, do you know where the storehouses of hail are? I mean, God, God in His sovereignty and in His great power can put together a hundred-pound hailstone and fire it to planet Earth. And according to the angel who poured out the third bowl, he is just and true 
every time he does that. Dr. Ron Jones will be right back with the second half of today's message, Armageddon, ISIS, and the Middle East Crisis. And remember, you can stop by somethinggoodradio.org anytime to find out more about the ministry or to order selected resources like the series you're hearing right now, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. The entire audio download of this series can be yours today for a gift to Something Good Radio. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456, or you can call our offices at 757-276-1099. Now here's Ron with the second half of today's Something Good Radio message, Armageddon, ISIS, and the Middle East crisis. There's a, there's a funny kind of whimsical reference, though, to the second coming of Jesus Christ. A, a broader description of it in Revelation chapter 19, and we'll get there in a few weeks, but I love verse 15. Between verse 14, that talks about the kings of the earth coming together in the valley of Jezreel, and the mention of Armageddon in verse 16 uh, these words are in red in my Bible because they're, they're from Jesus. And John writes this, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. There are going to be some streakers during the tribulation period. Did you know that? Some people who are naked as a jaybird when Jesus comes. I'm not talking about physically naked. You, you might have got up naked this morning, all right? Don't quote me on that, but you might have. Came out of the shower, walked into the closet, got your clothes for the day. You, you clothed yourself, all right? But the nakedness that John's referring to here and that Jesus is referring to is not a, not a physical nakedness, but a spiritual nakedness. You know, you can either try to clothe your spiritual nakedness in your own robe of righteousness. And you know what the Bible says about our attempts to do that? that by the way, that's religion. But the Bible says that God looks at those clothes like filthy rags. And there are people on this earth and that will be here during the tribulation period that that's their best hope. You know, if I, if I just do good enough... You know, I've, I've got these clothes of righteousness, my own righteousness. I'm doing better than the person next to me or over here. This, this person's, you know, cheating on his wife, cheating on his business, and I, I don't do those kinds. Of, and it's that comparison game, and they've gotten all caught up in religion. The Bible would say you're as naked as naked can be. And to you, Jesus is like a thief. Nobody likes to have a thief come to their door at night and especially when you're naked. Beware the thief who catches you naked, all right? That's just something you got to write down today. That's a take-home thing today. Beware the thief who finds you naked. Who is that thief? It's Jesus, who will be a thief to you, coming at an unexpected time, at a time you weren't thinking about, you weren't waiting for Him, you weren't watching for Him, and you're as naked as naked can be spiritually because you're not clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, what's, what's that? 
What is the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Well, it's what Paul had in mind in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. He says, you who were baptized into Christ. In other words, you were identified with Jesus Christ and faith in Him. You have clothed yourselves with Christ. You put on His righteousness. Isaiah 61 says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for He has clothed me, listen to this, with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. Are you, are you clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ this morning? That's the only way Jesus it won't be a thief to you. Because if you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, then, then the question becomes, are you waiting for Him and are you watching Him? There's another contrast here between the clothed and the unclothed. There's the contrast between those in darkness and those in light. Okay? John says here, blessed is the one who stays awake keeping his garments on that he may not go about naked and, and be seen exposed. A thief comes at night, doesn't he? He comes in the cloak of darkness. And there are a lot of people in this world and during the tribulation period that are walking in darkness, not in light. Uh, but the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 4, but you are not darkness, speaking to believers in Jesus. You are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. No believer in Jesus Christ ought ever to be surprised at the coming of Jesus Christ. But Jesus wrote a letter to a church in the first century in a place called Ephesus where he warned that they had fallen asleep. They weren't awake. He says, remember then, Revelation 3 and verse 3, whatever you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, he says, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. I just say, beware the thief who finds you naked. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you're, you're relying on your, your best religious effort and your own robe of righteousness to put on, but it, it, it's just a filthy rag in God's eyes. Put on the righteousness of Christ who died on the cross for your sins, who paid the penalty for your sins, who lived a perfect life, and who, who met the righteous standard. It's kind of like this. You ever, you ever take a test in college, and it's a hard test, and it's a pass-fail test, and you know you're not going to pass it. You, maybe you get to take it three or four times, and every time you, you fail the test. Wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody else could come along and take the test for you, who always gets a perfect score, and then somebody in the test place and the school says, you can take that test score and apply it to your account? That's what Jesus did for us. He perfectly fulfilled the law of God, lived a perfect life, a sinless life. He took the test for us, and He passed with flying colors. Then He died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And if we place our faith and trust in Him, we can take His test score and apply it to us. Or to say it in another analogy, we pick up His robe and clothe ourselves in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That makes sense? If you've never done that today, uh, today is a day of salvation. Today is a day by faith to place your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and put on His righteous robe. Take off your dirty, filthy rags of uh, uh, human and religious righteousness that always falls short and never gets a good score on the test. 
And in the process, you go from darkness to light. And you stand waiting in anticipation of the soon return of your Savior, Jesus Christ. He's no longer a thief that comes at an unexpected time when you're not looking. Oh, to those who are in darkness, He'll be unexpected. And the world will gnash its teeth and groan and moan at His coming and will curse God, and they will not turn to Him. These are sobering words, but there's, there's this wonderful thread of hope in here, isn't it? Where John just ever so briefly points us to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And when you go to Revelation chapter 19, and in verses 11 through the end of the chapter, you read a more detailed description of the second coming of Christ and this battle called Armageddon. We'll get there in a few weeks. But Jesus' soon return is, is what the New Testament calls the blessed, blessed hope of the church. And in the midst of ISIS and Middle East crisis and thoughts of Armageddon and all of this doomsday talk, don't lose your hope, friends. Don't lose your hope, believer in Jesus Christ. Lift up your head and look because your redemption is near. And his name is Jesus, and he's coming soon, just as he promised, just as he promised he would. Thanks so much for joining us for today's Something Good message, Armageddon, ISIS, and the Middle East crisis. Ron, let's talk about the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Revelation describes a great war, the Battle of Armageddon, and it's the bloodiest war the world will ever see. And yet, despite all the death and destruction that will one day take place, Revelation is still a book filled with hope for all those who are in Christ. It sure is, Brian. There's hope that Christ will return and also the hope that many will profess faith in Christ during the seven-year tribulation period. As you know, the Bible is filled with prophecies and, and also fulfilled prophecies. About 500 have already come to pass. And if anyone takes the time to study the date and origin of these prophecies and then sets that over and against the year in which each was fulfilled, that person will clearly see that many of them were prophesied centuries before they occurred. Many people who are alive on earth during the tribulation period will have already been exposed in one way or another to God's Word and to the prophecies contained in it. Now, they may dismiss them. They may not believe God's Word at all, but they will have at least been exposed to them one way or another. And then these same people will then be living in an era in which prophecy after prophecy unfolds right before their very eyes. I believe that could very well be the thing that leads many people to put their faith in Jesus Christ during the tribulation. And Brian, that to me is a source of great hope because I want as many people as possible to be redeemed by Christ and reconciled to Him. And I believe the prophecies being fulfilled in real time during the last days will lead many to the Christian faith and to the cross of Christ. Whenever I hear talk about God's desire to have a relationship with us, I'm reminded of 2 Peter 3 verse 9. It is not God's will that any should perish, but that all might come to the knowledge of repentance. All right, Ron, we are about out of time. But before we leave, could you tell our listeners a little bit about your Monday message? To this point in our study, Brian, and it's been a little more than three full weeks now, we've looked at the disease, death, famine, 
and war that will take place on earth in the last days. But the one thing we have yet to talk about is something that's very important to millions and millions of people, and that's money. During the tribulation period, in addition to everything else that's going on, there will also come an economic crisis the likes of which the world has never seen. And if you thought, Brian, that the Great Depression was bad, well, let's just say this will by far be the greatest economic depression in human history. And it won't be limited to the United States. This will be a worldwide economic depression. But as always, there's good news in the midst of bad news, and this message will be no different. As I continue my series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and the Return of Jesus Christ, this is our study of the Book of Revelation. That's next time in Dr. Ron Jones' message, The Coming Worldwide Economic Crash. Join us then for Something Good for Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio. I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.